from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Washington Watch. Thanks so much for tuning in. Well, coming up, the Senate is poised to vote this evening on the debt ceiling increase bill after it passed the House last night by a vote of 314 to 117. Even though the Republicans hold a slim majority in the House, more Democrats were supporting the bill than Republicans. Does that tell us anything about the bill? It should. Here's what MSNBC's Lawrence O'Donnell made of the vote last night. If you're wondering who won the debt ceiling deal, the proof is in the vote in the House of Representatives. More Democrats supported this bill than Republicans because this was a win for Democrats. That's what it was. Also in the Senate today, by a bipartisan vote, the Senate voted to block President Biden's student loan bailout. Three Democrats up for re-election joined with Republicans to vote for the resolution. The White House has pledged to veto the legislation. We'll talk about that as well. Earlier today, President Biden spoke at the commencement of the U.S. Air Force Academy, where he praised the Academy for soaring to new heights of diversity, because in his view, diversity is what makes our military strong. We also recognize that with every step we've taken to harness the full diversity of our nation, to tap more of our indomitable American spirit, our armed forces have only grown stronger, more effective and more admired. I'm not sure who admires our military for its diversity, but I do know who's not fearing our military because of our focus on diversity. That would be our enemies. I'll be joined by Missouri Congressman Mark Alford, a member of the House Armed Services Committee, in just a moment. And 21 state attorneys general have filed an amicus brief supporting Florida parents who were stripped of their fundamental rights as parents by the Leon County School District. And when school started, my daughter got into the car and said, Mom, I had a meeting today at school, and they asked me which restroom I wanted to use. And that one statement propelled us down a road that we couldn't have expected. What we learned that the school had done was socially transitioned our daughter without our notification or consent. That was the mother of the student, January Littlejohn. Earlier this year, she was discussing the case with Epoch TV. We'll get the details of this case from Montana Attorney General Austin Knutson who is leading the effort. And it's June 1st, which means in-your-face promotion of perversion from dog treats to retailers to restaurants. But this year may be a bit different, as Americans have had enough, as evidenced by Target, their stock having hit a three-year low, resulting in today a downgrade of their stock. Bud Light, as of today, has recorded a 29.5% decline in their sales. They've lost $27 billion in market value as a company. So what are we to make of all this, and how should we as Christians be responding? Uh, Dr. Al Mohler joins me for that conversation. Our word for today comes from Esther chapter 8, verse 17. And in every province and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. Then many of the people of the land became Jews because the fear of the Jews fell upon them. In this amazing story of Esther, the well-connected and powerful The power-hungry Haman hatched an evil plot to wipe out the people of God. But instead of succeeding in his plan to eliminate them, they were promoted. Faith in God spread, and God's kingdom and plans were advanced. When God's people have hearts after him and are willing to stand for him and his word, even in the face of great opposition and even death, what often appears to be the end is really just the beginning of a new chapter of God's marvelous grace being written in and through their lives. To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's spending agreement with President Biden passed the House last night. Despite 71 GOP votes against the measure, the Senate vote is next, with many Republican senators already speaking out against the legislation, which extends the debt ceiling until January of 2025 with no caps in place and limited actions to address a government debt now nearing $32 trillion. Senate Democrat leader Chuck Schumer has praised the deal, indicating where his party stands. Joining us now uh, from Capitol Hill, 
Uh, Harris Alec comes uh, has an update for us as he covers uh, Capitol Hill. Harris, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. Always a pleasure to be with you. And it is a hectic day up here on Capitol Hill. The Senate is rushing to pass this death limit deal so they can all get out of town. Um, the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has said the Congress has to raise the federal debt ceiling by June 5th or potentially face a default on the federal government being able to pay all of its bills. And June 5th, as we know, is only four days away, and the Senate is not usually um, used to moving legislation so quickly. So Senator Schumer is rushing it through as fast as they can. The Senate is a um, very thought-provoking institution where it requires every single senator to come together and agree to move a piece of legislation. Otherwise, you need 60 hours of debate. Right now, Senator Schumer is working to hatch those deals. Uh, but the problem is, obviously, time is running short, and there's a very, very limited ability to change this deal. Both Republicans and Democrats do not like parts of it. They want to strip parts of it out. But there's a very clear indication that if they do and the bill has to go back to the Senate, uh, excuse me, if they do and the bill has to go back to the House, there are uh, red flags that it might not pass there by June 5th or that it might not pass at all, given the fact that there's a lot of mounting opposition from both House uh, Democrats and House Republicans over it. Some who even just voted on the bill yesterday are already showing signs of potentially regretting that vote. So, uh, Harris, what are we hearing, hearing in terms of Republican support? We, we actually were talking with a, a, a couple of uh, Republican senators that because of the unfolding events were unable to join us this evening. But generally, what are you hearing from Republicans? Republicans are um, fairly divided on, on the deal. Some feel like uh, raising the debt ceiling is going to be a good measure. Some are happy with the fact that the deal has work requirements, but some are also significantly upset that this does not cut spending um, significantly enough, that it does not uh, include spending caps after 2025. And some are further upset by this provision authored by Congressman Thomas Massey that would essentially cut federal spending across every single department by 1% if the federal government does not pass a budget by January 1st, 2024. And they're saying that if the government cannot agree on a spending fight, that uh, military spending is going to be cut. Domestic spending is going to be cut. And a lot of our uh, defense hawks are pretty much up in arms over this. Senator Schumer is kind of trying to strike a deal right now where he's saying that as we plan the appropriations budget moving forward, we'll pass a defense supplemental bill early on. So we're not going to have to worry about facing this 1% cut. But there's a lot of opposition mounting here. There's also opposition from Democrats over uh, a pipeline agreement that was wanted by Senator Manchin. And then as, as, as I just said recently, there's also opposition just from hardline conservatives who say this does not go far enough. It does mm-hmm. not um, institute work requirements significantly. It does not institute budget caps. It, only, um, it actually expands the number of people who will be on food stamps moving forward. So there's a lot of opposition to this from Republicans. Yeah, and of course, we've got to remind everyone we're still talking about elevated levels of spending. Uh, when you look at pre-COVID budget levels of $4.5 trillion, we're now looking at uh, $6.3 trillion post-COVID. So that emergency spending, which was supposed to be one-time spending, has been baked into the bottom line. Uh, another question for you, um, Harris, when you – we were just talking about – I was just mentioning at the top of the program a, a, a rebuke of the president today when uh, three Democrats uh, – three or four Democrats joined with Republicans – to pass uh, a resolution that would uh, block his student loan bailout. That's right. Uh, Three or four Democrats did wind up voting for this resolution that um, is not going to go into effect because the president is going to veto it. Uh, The president has already said that his student loan bailout, which gives um, individuals upwards of $10,000 to $20,000 of uh, erased student debt, is going to be probably adjudicated by the Supreme Court sometime this year. So I think even though this was a vote that signals just how uh, politically um, negative the student loan bailout has been in states like Montana and in uh, uh, just how negatively it's been received in states like Montana and West Virginia, there's also the simple fact that the president's going to veto this measure right. and you're going to need two-thirds in the Senate and two-thirds in the House to override that veto and the votes just aren't going to be there. So while some Republicans are applauding these Democrats, there's also the full understanding that this was kind of an easy vote for them to come out on uh, because it's 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 not going to be uh, be able to overcome a veto. Right. Right. Plus, I should mention, I, I think all three of them uh, are in cycle. They're up for reelection. So it's a uh, it does tell us where they've got their finger on the pulse of where the American people are on this uh, bailout. Um, 
Harris, I want to thank you for joining us. Always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, giving us that Capitol Hill update. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much, Tony. All right, uh, Harris Alec with the Washington Times on uh, Capitol Hill. Well, as I mentioned earlier today, President Biden gave the commencement address at the Air Force Academy in Colorado. The point uh, in this speech, he pointed to his administration's focus on wokeness as the source of international admiration. Uh, Then what appeared to be a prophetic act, he fell down on the stage. Now, in the debt ceiling deal, the military is funded just as the Biden administration requested, including about $150 million for diversity and inclusion programs. Well, join me now to talk about this and where we go from here is Congressman Mark Alford. He serves on the House Armed Services Committee, the House Agriculture Committee, and the House Committee on Small Business. He represents the 4th Congressional District of Missouri. Congressman Alford, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to see you. Thank you, Tony. Just flew in from D.C. We're in our office in Raymore, Missouri. Well, I, I think I'm, I'm glad you got there in time to, to join us. You joined uh, 70 of your Republican colleagues in the House voting against the spending bill last night. Tell us why. Look, I, number one, I, I promised when I ran for this office, started running almost two years ago, that I would listen to the will of the people, that this is not going to be about Mark Alford. This is going to be about what they want. And it was very clear that uh, even though we paid the Limit Save Grow Act, which did raise the debt ceiling $1.5 trillion, it was going to save a lot of, of money for the taxpayers. Uh, we were going to claw back some big things. We were going to get rid of the 87,000 IRS agents sent uh, to harass everyday American people. Those things did not happen. We went to, from a one-year deal to a two-year deal, and it raised the debt ceiling another $4 trillion dollars. 13% higher than what we're at now, which is ridiculous. We surveyed 50,000 of our constituents. We had numerous phone calls coming into all three of our congressional offices. I listened to them. I made the tough choice to vote no on this for the future of America. Well, you, you mentioned that uh, we're going to be up against a break here. We're going to come back on the other side of the break. I'm, I'm thankful you can sure. stick with us. But you mentioned $4 trillion added, but that's best-case scenario because there's actually no cap on this. It's just exactly. the time frame. It could go higher than $4 trillion. It, It's a moving target. I am sick of moving targets. I am sick of Washington waiting to the last minute and having people who are responsible for voting for 750,000 people, making them vote on something out of fear. I'm not living in fear. I'm not voting in fear. I'm voting for the people of the 4th Congressional District. It was a no vote. It will stay a no vote. Well, Congressman Alford, when we come back, I want to talk uh, defense. You're you're very concerned about the status of our nation's defense with what's been happening with our military under the Biden administration. We're going to talk about that and, and where we go from here to strengthen our military and get them focused back on their main objective, and that is to defend our nation. Folks, thanks so much for uh, tuning in on this Thursday edition. Congressman Mark Alford sticks with me. And we come back on the other side of the break. I hope you will as well. I've got some action items coming up for you a little bit later in the program. And uh, also later on, Dr. Al Mohler is going to join me. We talk about the month of June. It, it's, uh, you know, it's called Pride Month. Well, I think it's time we start celebrating life. This was the month that Roe v. Wade was overturned. We're going to... Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. 
Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be disciples their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. As I mentioned at the uh, the top of the program, President Biden gave the commencement address at the U.S. Air Force Academy in Colorado earlier today. I want to play the clip again of what he had to say, essentially saying diversity is what makes us strong. It's what makes the world admire us. Play clip number eight, please. We also recognize that with every step we've taken to harness the full diversity of our nation, tap more of our indomitable American spirit. Our armed forces have only grown stronger, more effective, and more admired. Congressman Alford, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for sticking through the break. Uh, So is our nation's military stronger today? No. We have great people in the military. We need more great people in the military. We are not reaching our recruitment goals The Marine Corps was the only branch of our military to do that last year. We have a young population. Only 9% has any interest in joining the military because the progressive, woke, liberal side of our country has so demonized America, has so demonized our founding fathers, our flag, for what we stand for, that we are not a nation under the protection and providence of God, that, that we're just human beings who evolved. And so there's no precious consideration for America anymore. There's no patriotism in a lot of families. We have families now who are veterans who are now telling their children and grandchildren, don't worry about serving in the military because it's not what it used to be. Somehow, Tony, we've got to recapture that. We have to instill pride back in our country. We have to take back the minds and the hearts and the souls of our young people. We also have to rebuild our military. China is outpacing us at every turn. If you look at comparisons from 1999 and the weapons that they had in missiles, tanks, ships, and in space, it's pretty much equivalent to where we were then. By 2025, they are outpacing us at a multiple of at least 10. We do not have the money being invested now should we have to repel them or deter them if they were to invade Taiwan. And the, the budget that the president came out with this, this year, we laughed at that because that was not nearly enough to build our military and what we should be. And yet that's the number pretty much that was decided in this deal that was cut and that we voted on and the House passed and is now before the Senate. A 1% raise in spending in year 2025. And when you figure into a f- inflation, it's actually a cut. 
of probably up to 5%, a 5% cut in our military. We can do better than that. So, Congressman, let's talk about that because you serve on the House Armed Services Committee, and there, there's another bite at the apple, so to speak, with the National Defense Authorization Act that really kind of dictates the policy and how money is going to be spent in the military. There's a lot of this money, uh, somewhere between $100 million, $150 million. I know that's pocket change to, to some when we're talking about trillions. But that's going to the, the diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. I mean, we're, we could just reroute a lot of this money to stuff that is detracting from the military's mission and put it back into its core mission. Could we not? We certainly could, Tony. You remember when we were growing up and the news stories about the $1,000 hammers that the Department of Defense was spending uh, right. and how the gold that was exposed? Seats. Yeah, the toilet seats. We are wasting money on these programs. Our strength as a nation is in our commonality. It is not in our diversity. I told that to Secretary of Defense Austin. I told that to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs uh, when they testified before that, and they couldn't really disagree with that. When you go across the Potomac there and you walk amongst the white gravestones of the brave men and women who gave everything to fight for our nation, to die for our nation, and you look down, you can't tell the color of their skin and you can't tell what pronoun they use because the enemy doesn't care. And we shouldn't either. We are a, a, a nation built on our unity. And it's what we have in common that we should be celebrating. You know, it's, it's interesting, Congressman, you bring that up, because if you look at what's divided our nation, it's the identity politics. That's what's divided our nation. And, and now they're seeking to replicate that in our nation's military, where if there's one place we need cohesion, it's in our military. Uh, having, you know, as a veteran working in a small group, a, a squad in the, in the Marine Corps, you have to work together. They're dividing us with this identity politics, and they're forcing it on the very individuals, as you said, that are predisposed to go into the military, but won't because they're now perceiving it to be hostile to their values. Tony, there's a reason they call it a uniform. You wore one proudly. I never did. I'm doing what I can now to help save America. But that uniform is a symbol of pride, but it's also a symbol that it's not about the individual in that uniform. It is the pride that they have in wearing the colors on the uh, arm and uh, the pride they have in their heart serving their nation. Until we get back to where we are truly uniform, we are not going to be the fighting nation that we need to be to deter China and possibly, God forbid, if we go to war with them, to have to beat them. We've got to wake up. Final question for you, uh, Congressman Alford. You, you've mentioned China, and I want to ask you straight on. And I, I, I mean, obviously, I know you cannot uh, share any information uh, that is not publicly out there, any classified information. But how concerned are you when it comes to China and the growing threat there? Tony, I'm very concerned. You know, this is new to me. Uh, I, I ran for office. I got elected in Congress. Uh, I go in after orientation, after I'm sworn in, I, I get top secret SCI clearance. I go into these skiffs and my jaw, I'm trying to keep it from dropping as I'm hearing actually what's going on. And um, I don't want to overblow my importance in all this, but God put me here for a reason. And I think part of it's to be almost like a John the Baptist to to try to warn people, to try to uh, tell people what's coming. Uh, we have the China Select Committee. We have other committees that are delving into the very specifics of the threat from China. They are in everything we do here in America. Our cheap computers, our Wi-Fi systems, our drones, um, the naval ports uh, that we have, uh, shipyards. Uh, they're in the cranes in most of the shipyards. They have their cameras, they have their ears, they have balloons flying over unimpeded that flew almost directly right. over this office in Raymore and over Whiteman Air Force Base, home of the B-2 bomber, which we represent. We've got to wake up. We've got to get real. We've got to start making things back in America again. We've got right. to instill the pride that we once had, because if we are not ready, we could be doomed. Well, thanks for sounding the alarm. It needs to be rung loudly. Congressman, great to see you. Thanks for joining us. 
Folks, stick with us. We're back after this. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. I'm Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. Early this week, we talked about Target and the fact that their vice president of branding is a treasure at Glisset. That's a pro-LGBT group that works in schools, in part to get schools to adopt policies that keep parents in the dark on their children's in-school gender transition. Now, you know, you you, want to know, where, where do these policies lead? Where do these high policies lead? Well, uh, we don't have to look too far. In 2020, teachers and administrators at a Florida school socially transitioned a 13-year-old girl through a so-called gender support plan that included changing her name and asking her which bathroom she preferred to use, all, all without her parents' knowledge or consent. Since then, the parents have sued the school district, and now attorneys general, from 21 states have joined the legal action, filing a brief in the case this week in the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. Join me now to discuss this is the Montana Attorney General, Austin Knudsen, who is leading this effort among his state AGs in filing the brief. General Knudsen, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you. You bet. Thanks for having me. So uh, explain to me and our listeners why this is important that 21 AGs weighed in in this court battle. Well, this is a very seminal case. I mean, look, you, you've got a situation here where a public school has basically inserted itself between a child and, and the child's parents. And that should horrify everyone. Uh, what, what's even more horrifying is that a, a, district, a, a federal district court in Florida found that that was okay, uh, and which is why we're going up to the 11th Circuit. But look, there's, there's a ton of jurisprudence here. It's, it's, it's a long-standing facet of American jurisprudence that parents are the primary decision makers for their children. We call them minors for a reason. They haven't reached the age of, of majority yet, to use a legal term. We don't let minors join the military. We don't let them uh, consume alcohol. We don't let them vote until they're 18. And there, there's good reason for that, because their brains are not fully developed. We know this from science, but we also know from thousands of years of just being humans that parents are in a better place to make decisions for their children. Uh, And so when when you have a case like this where a school district actively pushed parents aside and subterfuged the the, the parents, subverted the parents and and the parents' directives for their child here, and instead went and had secret meetings with this child to try to get this child to transition, that's, that's pretty horrifying. 
Uh, you know, my, my daughter can't get an aspirin at the school without me getting a phone call, but suddenly it's okay that for, for the school district to start talking to my children about transitioning. Right. No, so, this, this is not right. Yeah, I mean, it, there, there's like a couple of items they pick and choose on this in terms of how they're going to treat it differently. I mean, for instance, if you had a a, a young person, a child, a student that uh, say they came from an atheist family and they became a Christian, would the school hide that from the the parents? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, they don't, they don't have any plans in place to do that. But when it comes to issues like sexuality or abortion we see increasingly schools working in contradiction to parents. And it's amazing to me, frankly, General, that this got to the appellate court, that you had a lower court that actually ruled against the parents. It's amazing to me as well, Tony. I'm, I, I'm stunned by it. Uh, but, I mean, this, this is why I, – I, I think this is why you see 20 of, of my colleagues joining me on this brief, because we're horrified too. I mean, th- this, this kind of upends longstanding – U.S. Supreme Court jurisprudence here. I mean, the, it's it, it's a long-standing facet and tradition in, in American law that parents are the primary decision makers for their children. But play that's this not out. Absolute. Play there, this there out for us. Play play this out for us just a moment. Where could this lead? I mean, if this type of jurisprudence were to be established, where could this lead? Well, it's scary to think about. I mean, right now, the, the limits are, I mean, obviously, you, you as a parent, you don't have the right to make harmful decisions for your children. You know, you, you, you can't decide to, to have them undergo some sort of dangerous treatment or, or, or dangerous activity that, that, that would harm them. We, we, we found those limits within the, the court cases. But this is very scary stuff. I mean, if, if a school district can step in, which is basically your, lo- your, your, your local government step in, and start making gender identity decisions for your children and exclude you as a parent, I mean, where, where does this go? Is, does it go next to, to, to actual transitioning? Does it go to surgery? Does it go to medical decisions? I mean, where you're asking the right question. Where does this end? And that's what's so concerning about this. You know, it's interesting that this case is coming to the forefront, as I mentioned at the top, uh, when uh, during Pride Month Target one of their, their their VP of branding, actually a part of Glisten, pushing these types of policies in the school. So we see this connection with corporate America and many of these schools pushing uh, through these special interest groups, pushing policies that uh, are alienating children from their parents. Well, this is really fascinating, whether you're talking about, you know, Anheuser-Busch or Target. Or I, I would lump the public schools in this. I, I, I would argue that between covid and some of these crazy decisions now that, that we're getting out of uh, some school districts, this has been a boon for homeschooling. It's been a boon for, for Christian education. It's been a boon for private schooling. Uh, school choice has really benefited from this. And I, I, yeah. I don't think the school is probably intended on that, but I think it's a positive outcome here. But look, the market will ultimately bear this out. I think that's what this comes down to. If, if you as a parent are faced with a school district that's going to do these things behind your back, and make these kind of decisions with your children and for your children and exclude you, at that point, I know what I would do. I would take my kids out of of that public school, and we'd be talking about homeschooling or or some sort of school choice. But we got to make sure that we have individuals like you that are protecting the rights of parents to make those decisions, because don't think they'll stop just with their gender transition. They'll reach to try to keep them from making educational choices. General, we're out of time. I want to thank you for joining us, and thanks for leading on this effort. It's very important. It is. You bet. Thanks for for having me, Tony. Stick with us, folks. We're back after this. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first, just go to prayvotestand.org. Again, that's prayvotestand.org. 
Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded communities. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories, and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged. Be in the know. And stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. All right. Uh, hey, just a reminder for those in the Houston, Texas area, we have our Stand Courageous Men's Conference coming up this Saturday. In fact, tomorrow uh, afternoon, I'll be broadcasting from First Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. Uh, General Boykin will be joining me, so be sure and tune in for that tomorrow. If you're still interested, there's room. I'll save you a seat at the Stand Courageous Conferences. Go to StandCourageous.com to find out more. And by the way, we were just talking about... Um, Target and, uh, you know, what they've been pursuing with this whole transgender stuff, even having pride clothing for infants. Well, they're feeling the pinch. Uh, Their stock downgraded today. And, uh, you know, I I really think we should help them out and downgrade it even further uh, by refusing to shop there. I think if you're going into it, it's an issue of stewardship, right? I, I don't really engage in formal boycotts. I just say be good stewards of what God has entrusted with you and don't use it for uh, to, to go to organizations that are going to use the profits against you. For instance, I was just talking about the vice president of branding at Target is a treasurer at Glisten, this uh, gay, lesbian, uh, gay, straight, lesbian alliance, whatever it's called, where they go into schools and they push these policies, just like what we're seeing argued in the 11th Circuit, taking away the rights of parents, hiding from them they're in school, the in-school transge- uh, transitioning of their children. So anyway, if you'd like to sign the petition on Target, text the word Target to 67742. That's 67742, the word Target. So that segues right into what we're talking about here when it, uh, you know, in June becomes Pride Month represents the ultimate month-long holiday celebration for many of the world's largest brands and corporations. They, they're tripping over themselves to try to be friendly to homosexuality. Well, uh, with Target stock in a freefall and Bud Light sales catering, some corporations may second-guess their typical unabashed enthusiasm for the LGBT indoctrination that they do of customers. As I said yesterday on the program, that sustained opposition may have us approaching a tipping point where brands think twice, while Christians and others not captured by the LGBT agenda take a stand and speak the truth in love. Now, here at the Family Research Council, we're commemorating June by standing for Celebrating Life Month. And I encourage you to join me in doing the same. This is the month that Roe v. Wade was overturned. Let's take the month back. It's Life Month. Well, joining me to discuss this and much more, Dr. Al Moeller, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's the author of many books, including Tell Me the Stories of Jesus, 
the explosive power of Jesus's parables. Dr. Mueller, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to see you. Tony, always great to be with you. And wow, is there plenty to talk about? There is. Uh, if if uh, if I weren't Baptist, I'd pop a top, and we would uh, we would talk about Bud Light. But we're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna stop. We're gonna avoid the first one, and we're just gonna talk about Bud Light, and we're gonna talk about Target. We're gonna talk about these woke corporations, and why this is a defining moment uh, when we talk about morality in this country, and who's defining that morality. Well, you know, those who are trying to bring about a comprehensive change in this society, and, and you know, I, I, I don't think it's inaccurate at all to call them cultural Marxists. They're, they're trying to bring a Marxist-style revolution, understanding that those who control the culture, uh, and, and that means the companies, the, the colleges, the, uh, you know, the cultural institutions, uh, they're, they're just doing that long march through the institutions that one of their activists called for in the middle of the last century. And uh, yet you would think that at some point, some of these institutions, such as major American corporations, would at least count the cost because they're still trying to sell Americans stuff. And, uh, you know, Americans aren't buying some of the moral stuff, the uh, revolutionary stuff they're selling. And so we've reached a really crucial moment. And and uh, I, I like the way you introduced this and in your previous segment, because when you look at Target, when you look at Bud Light, when you look at some of these companies, they have been doing what they thought was going to lead to cultural, you know, approval. And all of a sudden they discovered that uh, Americans aren't buying what they're selling. So let's talk about that for a moment, because you just made reference to this. And this is what I believe that this is different than some of the things we've seen in the past. I do think we're at a tipping point because I think it's it's uh, to use a common phrase, a bridge too far. The the transgenderism, it's one thing, you know, they were able to push the whole LGBT. LG, well, let me just drop the the initials, the, the lesbian, the homosexuals, the gays, mm-hmm. you know, that, that wasn't so much in your face. But this transgender thing, they're seeing their children and grandchildren transformed by this ideology and it's frightening. And they're saying, wait a minute, something's not right here. And then when you have corporate America jumping on the bandwagon, pushing this and it's in your face at every turn, it just I sense this and I've been doing this for quite some time. This is a different moment. It is a different moment. And, you know, I've been writing about these issues, trying to defend a Christian worldview and help Christians to understand these issues for, uh, you know, over a generation now, uh, four decades. And, you know, the argument's really changed. And and it is interesting because you mentioned a tipping point and how it's changed. You know, back when uh, the uh, the LGBTQ movement was beginning, when it was back called the gay rights movement, and, and they came up with this idea, they're going to tell people, you don't know what I really think. I have an orientation towards sexual attraction to someone of the same sex. You can't tell me I don't. Well, you know, as Christians, we have a way of understanding that in the Christian worldview and understanding the effects of sin. And, and so, yeah, there are all kinds of sinful patterns. But uh, the, the gay rights movement just gained an awful lot of traction by saying, you can't tell me what I really am thinking. You can't tell me what, how my heart's inclined. But, you know, the transgender movement is trying to tell us, you can't tell me if that's a boy or a girl. Or we're going, well, you know, yes, I can. I absolutely can. When they hand that baby off after the delivery, they do not say this is potentially either a male or a female. They say, congratulations, it's a boy, or congratulations, it's a girl. We have, so in other words, we, we've met a wall there. And as a theologian, I want to say it's the wall of ontology. It is it is being, it's creation order. Uh, but, you know, just the average common person can say, you know, you cannot tell me that that's not a boy or a girl. I I, I know the difference. In many ways, acquiescence or silence in these earlier years to some of this by you can't tell me what I'm thinking. We've just been silent when there is there's morality and it's not defined by us. God defines as believers, as followers of Christ, those who have a biblical worldview. You know, we don't define morality. God does. It is his moral law. And I think that they've pushed this and we've we're at the edge of a cliff. And that's why I think it's a moment it's not necessarily a moment that I celebrate because I wish we didn't have to be at this point. I am somewhat encouraged that people still have enough resolve to push back to, as you say, the, the evidence is quite clear here, male, female. Um, but if we don't get this moment right, I'm not sure what the fallback position is. Well, and that's what the uh, the LGBTQ revolutionaries and, frankly, their allies, that's what they're counting on. They're counting on dominating uh, the, uh, America's public mind to such an extent 
that, uh, you know, what's absolutely unthinkable on Monday is just, you know, common by Thursday. They're, they're counting on that. And by the way, they've, they, they have been incredibly uh, successful at this. When you look at the polling data, that's why we as Christians have to remind ourselves we don't believe in morality by polling data. We believe in morality by the Word of God. And, um, you know, it, it, it's going to take Christians saying no to so many of the demands made upon us by the larger culture and, and being made uh, upon us just by walking into a, a, a department store or, or, or being walking in a grocery store now. It, so let's it's a talk. complicated set of moral acts. Let's talk about that, because that's where the rubber meets the road is, all right, how do we, how do we, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, how do we live out in these times? You know, we, we hear, I'm not one given into boycotts. I mean, I, I just don't think sometimes they're not really successful all the time. I do, I do believe in stewardship. I do not believe we should use our money as that we've been entrusted with by God to fund those things which are counter to the word of God and the truth of God. So I, I do believe it in that sense. So as Christians, how should we be responding in this moment? Well, you know, Tony, you raise the complexity of this, because frankly, there are companies that aren't as brazen as Target in their, you know, Pride Month display that have basically the same policies. They also have their corporate people sitting on the mm-hmm. boards of these activist organizations and all the rest. And and so it's not easy. It's like, uh, you know, it used to be that Christians would say, you know, that credit card company has taken the stand. I'm going to I'm going to switch to another credit right. card company. Well, it probably has exactly the same policies. But we're talking about Target because Target put something right in the face of Americans and said, deal with this. And Americans said, OK, we're going to deal with it. American Christians understand that, look, Target's reporting, just as you indicated, Target is reporting a financial injury by the response of consumers. And I have to believe that means millions and millions of Christians who are simply saying, you know, you put that right in our face, we're going to take our business elsewhere. We don't believe that after the fall, there's some pure place we can go, you know, uh, that that at least is a major national corporation that, that, that uh, I mean, by and large, uh, as you mentioned, boycotts, are, uh, they're very difficult in the complexity of today's economy. And you and I have been through that war before. But you're exactly right. We're stewards. And so at the very least, you know, uh, these companies that are so aggressive and pushing this agenda, I think uh, there are lots of Christians who know, well, that's the last product I'm going to buy from them. Well, let me complicate this conversation uh, because in recent days it's become more Uh, known that, uh, you know, one of uh, the favorite uh, fast food places of Christians, Chick-fil-A, is is wading neck deep into this. I mean, their woke roosters have come home to roost. I mean, they they are into the diversity, inclusion and equity. But this is not new. We've watched this back since uh, 2012 when we helped Mike Huckabee support the uh, Chick-fil-A when they took a stand for marriage only to watch over the last decade them backing further and further away, even to the point of funding groups that uh, have drag queen reading hours, funded the Southern Poverty Law Center, and cut off all Christian organizations like Salvation Army because their views on marriage were too radical. So what do Christians do in, in a situation like that? Well, you say it's complicated, and that's true. And with Chick-fil-A, it's even a little more complicated because you have two different levels. You have Chick-fil-A corporate, but this is unlike Target in that you also have owner-operators at the local level. And uh, so at this point, we know, uh, you know, we've seen the website, some of the things that the corporate national entity is doing. It's going to be interesting to see there are an awful lot of faithful Christians who are owner-operators of, uh, of Chick-fil-A's and, uh, at the local level. And uh, I've I've known the founding family for a very long time. I just have to hope that sounder, you know, policies will prevail here. And uh, I think encouragement. I think Christians talking about this, offering encouragement, saying we we really are not going to do business with a company that violates, you know, and flaunts its violation of of what we believe is Christian morality. Uh, But I'm hopeful. In in the case of Target, I'm not hopeful. In the case of Chick-fil-A, I hope to. Yeah, I, I think, you know, one of my colleagues here on the Washington stand wrote about this, that, you know, it, it's even more offensive when an organization that has prospered off of its Christian holdings right. and drawn in Christians, then, you know, walks down the same path, maybe not as bad as Target. I mean, you're not blinded by rainbow flags when you walk in, yeah. but, but it's betrayal, quite frankly. 
Yeah, and you know, the uh, uh, the question comes down, you know, I hear the logic all the time uh, that uh, we can't do business in this metropolitan area unless we adopt these policies. We can't do business on a broad national scale. And uh, that's where I think we're going to discover that uh, that logic just means eventually you're just the same as Target eventually. You're just the same right. as General Motors or Bank America eventually. And, uh, you know, I, I think we as Christians need to understand that for one thing, uh, we can't trade on anything in the past as continuing unless there are continuing affirmations. But that, I think we need for those continuing affirmations of what is right and true. Yeah, that that is so true. But all it, it, in along with that, standing behind those absolute moral truths, with how we operate as consumers, in that our and, affirmation. And you point out, you uh, point out how difficult that is because uh, you know I. It, it's really hard to know unless you're dealing with just one local, you know, it's a hot dog stand. It's right. really hard to know when you walk in these places what their national policies are. Well, and, that's and one so of the reasons, the, one of the reasons, I'll put in a plug, one of the reasons to shop and do business with local vendors, which I try to do as much as possible. Yeah, well, you're certainly going to know if you sit down in church with the people who are, you know, this is their store, you're going to know who they are. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, this is this is really complex. And as you know, and so just to throw a wrench into this, you know, if you're an American taxpayer, one of the horrible things is we're we are coerced into paying for all kinds of immoral things. And so being in the world but not of it in this kind of situation is just uh, it's incredibly complex. And I think it's why we need to have these conversations. But when we have knowledge, we're held accountable to the knowledge that we have. And so once these things come to light, we need to take right. that and, uh, and and I think prayerfully consider Again, stewardship, witness, all of these things, you know, we're not, I don't think we should be, uh, you know, confronting people with anger and violence as uh, some have been accused of. I don't think that's happening broadly, but I I think we need to be thoughtful believers exercising our rights as Americans, but more importantly, our stewardship as Christians. You know, absolutely. We don't have a choice as to whether we pay our taxes, but we do have a choice about where we buy our socks. And it turns out that these days, that can be a pretty powerful moral question. And uh, so I, I want to affirm you know, what you're saying here. We, we are stewards, and it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And that means that we can't live in willful ignorance of what these companies are putting right in our face. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, as I say, I, I believe all kinds of people will lie to me, but when they put the pride flag out front, I take them at their word. Yeah, I think we know exactly what that means. As we should. Uh, Dr. Al Moeller, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining me this afternoon. Glad to be in the fight with you, Tony. Thank you. All right. Dr. Al Moeller, great guy. Appreciate what he does. And you can listen each morning to his uh, briefing. All right, folks, take action. Text the word TARGET to 67742. And again, prayerfully consider how you will steward the resources and the witness that God has entrusted you with. All right, tomorrow I'll be joining you from, Lord willing, from First Baptist in Houston, Texas. Hope to see you men at the Stand Courageous Conference. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 